everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, the podcast where we talk about all of that and then some. I'm a nurse, author, writing coach, mother of many, and the author of the books Common Sense Pregnancy and Mom's Side of the Story. And you can learn about all of that over on my website, jeanfaulkner.com. Things are heavy here in Portland, Oregon this week as the wildfires raging all around the state and very near my town have destroyed hundreds of homes, entire towns, killed dozens of people. And those of us who've been lucky are living with smoke and air quality that's literally off the charts. The healthy range for air quality is 0 to 50. As of this morning, Portland was 506 and the air is thick. We have headaches and we're exhausted and it's hard to inhale and you know we're considering ourselves lucky all things considered. And we're all dealing with it by staying indoors, businesses are closed and we're doing our best to just breathe. But damn, this is awful. The irony is that just a few weeks ago I was telling you that no, Portland is not burning down due to the protests. Town is fine. Now, all I can say is that, well, technically Portland is not burning, but our next door neighbors in Clackamas County are. We're looking at a climate crisis wrapped up with a pandemic, wrapped up with the election, wrapped up with racism and protesting and a horrible economy. And as a relentless optimist, it's even hard for me to see where the silver linings are here. But I will share with you my tips for making the best of a bad situation. Really, it's just one tip. Here's my number one tip. Just do what you can. Do your best and just do what you can. That's all we're expecting of you. That's all the news and politics I'm going to talk about this week. Um, Let's just stick with current events. And the only current event on my mind at this moment is trying to breathe. So, um, I was scrolling the other day and saw that Shan Boudram, aka Shan Booty, who was a guest uh, here on the podcast a few years ago, she was advertising her show, Sexology. Now, when she was on the pod back in 2017, we talked about an issue I get a ton of email about, bacterial vaginosis. The other question I get a lot is about sex and pregnancy. So we're going to rebroadcast that interview this week. Shan Boudram is the internet's most sought after certified sex educator, dating coach, and relationship expert with over 40 million YouTube views alongside her mainstream coverage across all the major TV networks, the New York Times, Forbes, and Time Magazine. Shan Boudram is a best-selling author and the host of a new daily show on Quibi, Sexology with Shan Boudram. Let's get Shan on the line. Hi, Shan. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. This is really exciting. I'm really happy to have you on here. Um, you know, I, I read your bio before you got on the line. So my first question is um, sometimes a little bit challenging. Who are you and what do you do? Okay. Oh, <laughs> 
Uh, my name is Shan Boudram. I go by Shan Booty online. I am a sexologist, a content creator, and an author. And I talk about sex, love, and relationships for a living. I exist in a really unique space where people approach me on the street and tell me their most intimate details about their private life, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Me too. My background before podcasting was I was a labor and delivery nurse for a long, 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 long time. And as soon as people hear that, they come up to you and they say, well, let me tell you. Right, exactly. My mom was exactly the exact same thing. She worked in the intensive care or the high-risk pregnancy unit um, for years and years. So I grew up learning all about that. And so it's beautiful work that you do. So thank you for, thank you for your work. Yeah, yours too. We got to talk about all this stuff. So, you know, from the outside, it kind of appears like your audience and my audience might not seem like the same audience because um, in the work that you do, and that I mentioned in your bio, you're speaking with a dating crowd and a young adult crowd, it seems like. And I'm speaking primarily with people who are pregnant or new parents or healthcare providers or people who have a stake in all that. But the truth is, I think we have a lot of crossover because a lot of my listeners and readers are young single women. And for for a lot of women, you know, it's the first time that they really ever pay attention to their health or learn how to caretake their own bodies is during some sort of reproductive health crisis, either a big one or a small one, a negative one or a positive one, like a pregnancy, an STD or an infection. So we've got a lot of the same people, don't we? Yeah, I actually like to call myself the Walmart greeter of sex and relationships. And that sounds like a very bizarre thing to say. But what I really mean is that I think that my job is to really be the individual at the front whom the person who may not have thought they had an interest or may have felt a little uncomfortable first talks to before they go to your aisle back in electronics or, you know, infertility. So I think of us all working together and having a really unique experience. And I think the work is ageless to your point, because we tend to think, oh, well, once you're older, you probably have a really good grasp of your body and what's going on but that tends not to be the case for a lot of people especially women who are not encouraged to have these honest conversations so I think every time I meet somebody who exists in this space I always look at us as teammates and I'm like mm -hmm. no I'm the person who's at the front handing out the flyers so that they go back to your section and get all the information and knowledge that they need yeah and which is what is really missing for so many women is the opportunity to just tell it like it is ask the real questions and then talk it out talk it out you know, how'd you get into this? I got into it. I say that I got into it, um, you know, 10 years ago, but realistically it was like when I was five years old, I was just always naturally drawn to intimacy, to touching. I was banned from having naked Barbies by the time I was six years old. And as I grew up, I was in a Catholic home and a lot of that natural curiosity was repressed. And so I was just really drawn to whatever I could find, which tended to be in you know, fiction books, fiction TV shows. And that led me to a really negative sex life. And for something that I really cared about, it was very heartbreaking to me that all the hopes I had that it would be a positive part of my life, it tended to be really just not. And so when I turned I thought this can't be it. So However, it was packaged in a very inaccessible, boring way. So I saw a real niche for someone to come in and say, okay, let's take this information that's great, but actually make it interesting how porn and media does. And that became the mark of my journey. I wrote my book, Laid, and the premise of that was a vicarious learner's approach to sex education. And since then, everything I've done pretty much has been on the same path of how can I take the great information that is available to us that is out there and repackage it in a way that is accessible else interesting hmm. so 
I want to talk about Keep Her Awesome. And I want to talk about um, I want to talk about a lot of things that you're working on right now. But I'm curious, are, are, do you think that young adults are pretty sexually literate? Are they growing up knowing what's going on in their reproductive health? It's odd enough. There's a lot of things that people tend to think that with time gets better or gets worse. Like all oh, the kids today are having sex sooner when statistically the number, the median numbers tends to be uh, 17 for girls and 16 for both for boys. And it's been that way since you started tracking it. Uh, even STI infections, like it tends to fluctuate between the numbers of like one in two under 24 to one in four sometimes. And so I don't think that things are changing that much. And unfortunately, when it comes to information, I, I think the problem with the age information is that you don't know the quality that people are getting so i think people do tend to know more but more of what is the question yeah, yes that, it might be yeah that was my next question was has right. the has the internet hindered or, or helped this it hinders in a sense because you don't know the quality or the reliable source that you're getting from it, but it helps because if you have a question, you have somewhere to go to ask it, and especially for people who grew up in homes where sex was not a comfortable conversation or if they went to a school that was abstinence only before you had nowhere to go to ask these questions. So I think it has absolutely helped, but are people spending enough time investing into their sex and love life? I don't think so. I think we live in a world where we spend a lot of time trying to understand our career selves, our family selves, but in when it comes to our sexual or intimate selves there's very little time so i think keeper awesome does a really good job of doing what i want to do with my career which is making the conversation easy accessible but above all else quality information that it can be very difficult to find in this infinite landscape that we call the world wide web well let's just tell people what keeper awesome actually is well, keeperawesome.com is the website but keeper awesome is a campaign that is by by and large about bacterial vaginosis. And so it's the quest of keeping her, which it would be your genitals, in a great space where it's healthy, where she is healthy um, and she's happy and you guys exist in harmony together. And that might feel like a challenge for a lot of people, especially anybody who has battled with yeast infections or UTIs or in particular bacterial vaginosis, keeping her awesome can be a real undertaking. So this website is really dedicated to, okay, how do you identify what the problem is? Where do you go to identify the problem? What questions do you ask your healthcare provider? And furthermore, like what do you do to prevent further issues down the line? And it's a website that I think every single mother should share with her daughter. Um, it's every father should share with his son so that he's aware of the gynecological issues that women can have. And so I just think it's a really great entry point to start a conversation that we're not having, especially given that one in three women um, will have bacteria vaginosis in their lifetime. So we're not talking about something that most people are not going to have to deal with firsthand. I get this question a lot from women who are pregnant or want to become pregnant, um, and they're super embarrassed about it. You know, I and I saw the video that you posted on um, Keep Her Awesome website that provides an excellent bacterial vaginosis 101. And listeners, I really recommend, I know you've read my article about it. I know you read about it in my book, but please go to this on this site. Um, and we'll give the link in, in the, at the end here um, to learn what it really is. But in it, you also say that you had it and it's super common, as you said, one in three, but I think it it's really helpful to have other women come out and say, yeah, I had it too. I mean, it's not, it, it's not a creepy thing. It's kind of almost normal. 
Yeah, it's funny. As I, I had a friend who just now I was working with just before we started this call, and I told her I was doing this interview to talk about my experience with bacterial vaginosis, and she was like, oh, me too. And that yeah. really makes me proud that it comes to that space where we can just have that forward conversation and say me too, because when you're actually dealing with BV, and if you've had it, you understand this, it is one of the most embarrassing, shameful experiences that you can have as the owner of, of a vagina, mm-hmm. because it's the smell, it's the like not being able to really control it, and then you get very paranoid about the smell and the discharge and so and sometimes the discomfort that comes with it so while you're going through it it's the last thing that you want to talk about or relate to people on or admit that you're going through but once you've come out of it there's almost like a sisterhood that that's along with it of like yes i went through that right. so i i want to let anybody know whether you've never had it before or you currently have it um or you you're like me you've had it in the past you are not alone. There are others like you. I have definitely had that experience. I was a part of, they say 60% of people who have BV will see it reoccur within the first year. And I'm a part of that, that stat as well, too. Mm-hmm. I saw it reoccur. Mm-hmm. And it was a frustrating time where all I did was go online and read forums and try and read other people's personal experience and see how others were coping because you feel so alone. And so the web has provided such a great relief. And Keeper Awesome, I think, does a great job of not only sharing stories, but also giving relevant information that allows you to make the next best healthy step for you. Among the factors that you mentioned that can put women at risk for developing BV are, you know, scented products that are marketed to clean, deodorize, or freshen up women's natural odors. And I remember this stuff from my own childhood, you know, youngest child of a Catholic mother who, um, you know, you would expect that she would be a little bit closed about it. But I'm really grateful that, you know, even back then she said, you don't need that stuff. Take a shower or a bath and you'll smell just fine. And if you don't, then you need some health care, not some deodorant. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that it, it's surprising to me that those products are still marketed to women um, because we know that they're harmful and because, gosh can't women just smell like themselves? You know, I, I, I can't we just, yeah, y- use a foul odor for what it is, a sign that your body needs some help. But you know, the rest of the time, we're fine. We're fine. Yeah. I'm also kind of yeah, excited. Yeah, that's absolutely it. Yeah. Do you find that you like your smell now? Like as you have become accustomed to it? Like, are you like, are you are you a fan of your smell? You know, I think that I am. Um, I take it completely for granted because I'm in my 50s. I've been with this body for a real long time now, and so I know it. And I just kind of grew up with the idea that, no, yeah, you're fine. Um, All of this other stuff that they're putting on the shelves is marketing. It's not real. It's not necessary. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. I'm also excited to see that there's a greater focus these days on stuff that goes in the vagina from, Mm -hmm. you know, tampons to condoms to gels to oils. And, you know, people tend to think that these products only impact the body on a surface level, but the vagina is pretty absorbent. It can absorb chemicals and medications. And, you know, we don't really test for the experience that it creates in women's bodies. And And I think right now we're seeing kind of a call to action on that. Are you seeing it? No. It's absolutely incredible. I have been contacted over so many incredible companies that really do tote pH balancing tampons and mm-hmm. condoms that are, you know, void of certain chemicals that again can throw your balance off. And it is so true. It's just it not only is it it is extremely absorbent, but it is the 
ideal breeding ground for bacteria. It's dark, it's moist, there's little oxygen in there, and so we really do have to take a lot of extra care. And there are some people, I always kind of say it too, like, it's almost like having a stomach issue. Some people have stomachs, they can eat whatever they want, it doesn't matter, they can have hamburgers and all of the different meats and their stomach is just fine, and there's some people who have really sensitive stomachs, and I think the same thing happens um, for vaginas, is that there are some people that, yeah, you can put any tampon, any condom, or any lube that you want, and there's gonna be no problem, and other people, the littlest thing, and I'm a part of that group, 1,000%, the littlest things that I do can completely throw me off, and so that is why I have to be completely aware uh, of what I'm putting in at all times and always assessing. And speaking of those, you know, scents, scented douches and washes, I actually had a company recently who's in Target, a very popular company, send me this free pH, pH balancing wash. And I was using it thinking, oh, this is not, this is good, it's great, it's, you know, specifically for. Uh, vaginas and people who have vaginas and I noticed that I just didn't start to feel right and then when I smelled it I'm like oh it smells like coconuts and limes and great stuff and that's just not going to work for me so I think a big part of keeping her awesome is being aware but then also having an intimate relationship with your own vulva and your own bad vagina to see exactly what it is that keeps you in balance um, because no one can really answer that question for you and it's a lifelong journey as you know because things change as well too so mm-hmm. it's about keeping the door open to constantly evaluate and talk about it, um, but still love her nonetheless. Yep. Yep. It's almost kind of a good, uh, a good test for total wellness. You know, if, if you're having trouble in, you know, with discharge or, you know, if you have BV and it's coming back again and again, it's a good time for you to just say, okay, what's going on here? What do I need to do differently? What do I need to get back on track with? And, you know, if you have BV, you're going to need antibiotics too. Um, but so much of our ability to balance our immune system comes from self-care. It's a catch-22 because a vagina is your period once a month tells you something about where you're at health-wise or hormonal-wise. So we have these great check-ins, and of course, like if you're having too much of one type of food, you might see a negative effect um, in your in your lady friend. So there's always this great opportunity to really check in with, okay, what am I doing with my body, and like, am I making sure that I'm completely in balance? And so again, it's just starting that conversation of how do I keep her awesome and keeping that door open. And I think that a lot more of us have to have this talk with younger people. It's let them know that look it's not a bad thing you're not abnormal you didn't do anything wrong it's not some completely awful thing that has caused this infection like this happens and it's going to happen in your lifetime and when it does the best thing you can do is go to a healthcare provider who can give you options to cure it effectively and fast and if you are afraid or you think you're abnormal you're less likely to do that so saying me too i think can save a lot of lives yeah i agree with you um Do you want to shift gears a little bit and talk about sex and parenting? Let's do it. All right. So I remember, you know, being really worried about how my sex life might change after having children. And that was, you know, when I was expecting my first. My husband and I had been together for quite a few years. And, you know, that was just, I was really concerned about it. And I think it's a pretty common concern. You know, privacy, opportunity, time and space are certainly issues, but also the physical and body image changes that come from pregnancy and birth. And women are worried. They're worried about sex. They're worried about, you know, sex during pregnancy. They're worried about all kinds of things. What are you hearing from women? 
I mean, all of the above. I mean, I think it's just this, the question of am I normal comes up in every single conversation when it comes to sexuality, because it is an area that we don't talk about out loud or we often don't talk about honestly. People are left to their own devices to try to figure out if they're normal or if what they're experiencing is normal. And so everybody has this fear that I'm not having sex enough. And there was this stat that came out that said, if you're having sex less than 10 times a year, your marriage is deemed sexless. <laughs> and then we thought, well, okay, well, if you're having 11, are you in the clear? So what does that exactly mean? And what about quality? versus quantity and there are all these you know scare tactics of we're not doing it enough we're not doing it effectively you know we're not um pleasing our partners and i think that that only gets heightened as your time gets stretched more and as your the demand on you gets stretched more so mm -hmm. i think that it's a conversation that we kind of have to recognize is happening consistently throughout the times and you got to deal with it like anything else you know women are very accustomed to moving and adjusting with the flow and i think this is one of those things that don't put the pressure on yourself to figure it out in the first week. You know, it might take you six months to get into the flow of adjusting to be a new mom before you find a sex schedule that's comfortable for you and your partner. So don't have, don't put the pressure on yourself, I think, to have it all figured out from day one. It can take some time and that's okay. You're worth it. Yeah, I get letters from women. You know, they're worried that um, they're going to hurt the baby or that if they have an orgasm, they'll cause contractions or they're worried that if they don't want to have sex during pregnancy, which for many is a time of nausea and grossness, that they're abnormal or they're worried because all of a sudden they really want to have sex and they feel like that is somehow at odds with, you know, this Madonna image of motherhood that we have. I mean, they're worried about so many different things. Basically, however they're feeling about it is the wrong way to feel, they think. And you know, what are we going to do with all these worried women? What are we going to do with them? I think you have to just address their concerns one-on-one -on -one and yeah. validate them and say, it's okay. There's others like you. You're not abnormal. Yeah. And it's just, you're going through so, I always just think about, you know, even postpartum depression is one of those things we really talk about, but you're getting this influx of hormones. You're getting this influx of nutrition. Like your body is working in over gear, overdrive mm -hmm. to create this life. And then you have it. And then all of a sudden your body goes, oh, okay, we don't need those anymore. Turn that off, turn that system off, you know, lessen this hormone. And you completely go into this crash course because you've just essentially been taken off of this lifeline and people think it's them they think it's their fault and that they're not happy enough and we're failing to really talk about no it's not you it's not your fault it's just that your body is going through these really big changes and they're not letting you know about it and so you're kind of just left to cope and deal with it so that's why the only way that we can really figure it out is have the conversation so as much as it can feel like girl it's fine you're fine you're great um and you feel like you don't have to say that i think saying that is is really really valid for a lot of people and can be really helpful i think it also helps women you know, if they remember that your sex life isn't one time, it's going to go on for years and years and years. And just like your life, there are going to be ups and downs. There's going to be periods of time when you're feeling really into it and times when you really don't want to, you know, it, it's a long, sex life is long. Yes. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And I think that working with the ebb and flow is great because during times where you're having those, you know, peaks and everything feels great, you enjoy it, but just know that the valley's coming soon and that'll be okay too. So mm -hmm. I think it just exists with everything in life, whether that be relationships or even our jobs. Sometimes we're never going to consistently be on this high. And they say the key to success is stoicness, which is like, you don't ride your highs too highs and your lows too low. And I would offer that advice for anybody who's going through some massive changes too. Mm -hmm. um, you may find exactly that to your point, you know, for some people, pregnancy is awesome and their hair grows longer and their eyelashes are popping and their mm -hmm. skin clears up. It's just really great time. And so and know that, that maybe the next 
All that right. extra circulation, you know, that's accommodating the baby in the placenta is also going through your genitals and your breasts. And for many women, it's the best sex of their lives. Right. And so it's like, great. But then on the flip side, maybe next week you get a black neck or you have like massive ankles or bloating. So it's just like, you got to kind of just ride it in sort of this, this stoic way and just know that there's going to be some benefits. There's going to be some downfalls. But above all, a waiver is your love and acceptance of self. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really concerned that about how many women are, oh, judging themselves so harshly or simply just looking at their, you know, fragile selves during this time of life where they're becoming mothers and they're just looking at themselves and saying, you're doing it wrong, no matter what they're doing. And I, I'm hoping that, you know, we can just let women know that there are so many different ways of going about this, you know, so many right ways to feel. And, you know, let, let's normalize all the different ways. Yeah. What's your biggest concern for women right now? My biggest concern for women right now, um, it would probably be that they're not doing it for themselves, that they're not, that a lot of, I, I promote, I was on The View, and um, I was talking about a self full life, not a selfish life, but a self full life where you put yourself at the center. And I'm like, as women, we are natural creators. And that innate spark inside of you that we're born to create so just trust that you're good trust that your desires are good trust that what makes you feel good is not a bad thing and i was saying just talking about like pleasure pleasure should be one of those things that i read this book for example is like if you find yourself in the lineup where you're really really irritated just stroke your arm like why not try to find ways to insert joy and pleasure and selffulness into all you do and one of the hosts turned to me and she said i think what you're promoting is absolutely despicable i think that you know you're telling people to put their family's second and to put their husband second. And that is not the way of a woman's work. And it's just like, what are you going to do? Just live your life just for yourself. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> who else are you going to live it for? And I think it's like, everybody benefits when we're selfful. Mm -hmm. Everybody benefits when we, you know, love ourselves, love our job, are fascinated by the work that we do. We get to share that with our children. We share that pride with our, our, our partners and our mates. And so I think that this notion that doing for yourself makes you less of a woman or less of a good person, I, I would hope that more people switch out of that thought process and know, yes, if your natural desires are to punch people in the face, then we should talk about, you know, <laughs> being just acting out what your pleasure is. It, it, that's something else. But if your natural you know, desire is to spend some time for yourself or read a book, um, just know that that's probably going to enrich those relationships that you feel like you're robbing yourself from. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that I, I'm still surprised that there is a, this idea that it's a binary thing. If you are a mother, you are selfless and giving at all times, no matter what no matter how you feel. That's one option. The other option is if you are taking care of yourself, you're selfish and flaky and, you know, shouldn't have children at all. Give me a break. We're people. Women are, mothers are, you know, women first. Right. Yeah. We're people. Can we live? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Yes. Yes, you can. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, what's your biggest challenge? Um, I think my biggest challenge, like anybody who works in this space, is having to hold all of the various different suppression anger that people have towards their own sex life that gets directed at you hmm. and so i think by nature i talk about a taboo topic that people makes people feel uncomfortable and insecure and so people respond to me with whatever it is they feel about the topic and that can be hard to be a, a space to hold that all the time and because i do exist in that walmart greeter space mm -hmm. um it's oftentimes people who don't necessarily want to talk about sex that i'm showing up in front of and so i 
do get met, not in person, only online, with some really vicious attacks against me and my work. And I've just kind of come to realize, all right, well, that's just more of a, a reflection of where you're at right now in your quest for sexual liberation. Because I always just feel like whenever you found your balance, whether that be your balance sexually, your balance with your, your vagina, whatever it is, whenever you found your balance, you're always like very accepting of the other ways people find balance. So you feel very judgmental and very, okay, well, you haven't really found your way yet. So my way frightens you and that's okay. So I think giving that space is, is difficult, but it's also nice because for every one person who attacks me, there's five people who say, thank you, because you opened up a conversation to me that I wasn't willing to have with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a catch 22. There's a lot of misogyny online. There's a lot. Oh, of, girl, yes. Yeah, yeah. You talk about anything that has to do with women, and you're going to get it. You're going to get it. Yeah. So I'm going to just ask you a couple more questions, and then I'm going to let you off the hook. How All would right. you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Uh, the clitoris has 8,000 nerve endings, and it is the primary pleasure organ for women and it is the only known body part to man that's only function is pleasure nobody ever told me that shan nobody has ever answered that question that way before you are getting okay. <laughs> so many gold stars <laughs> okay well now- hopefully the people told them that so they didn't have to answer it that way <laughs> so my last question i ask everybody whether they have children or not because there are so many ways that you can frame this question and the question is this where are you in your life in terms of motherhood? I'm in my life in terms of motherhood of a place of pure excitement and anticipation. Um, I think at this point I'm with a partner now who I see like a long-term uh, partnership with, somebody whose family I adore, somebody who I want to start a family with. And so for the first time in my life, I'm in my 30s now, I probably in my you know mid to late 20s didn't even think I ever wanted to have children. And it wasn't until really coming into myself and finding a good partnership. And I know statistically now we are the latest generation to start having kids. And I, I think it's a really wonderful thing in a way because I, I have a lot to offer, you know, my unborn child. And so I think for the first time I answer that question by say, I, I approach motherhood with great reverence, with great respect and with high anticipation. Oh, that's a good answer. Well, Shan, it's been really a pleasure to talk to you. And I bet that you and I are going to talk again down the road. I would love that. Thank you so much for your work. And I just can't wait to dive in. Thanks for listening, everyone. You can learn more about Shan at shanboudram.com and more about me at jeanfaulkner.com. Find Pregnancy Parenting and Politics over on Instagram and Facebook. And I'm on Twitter at Jean Faulkner. Send us your questions and we'll try to answer them during an episode. Pregnancy Parenting and Politics is produced by Recluse Records. We'll talk again next week. Bye, everybody. There'll be days like this. There'll be days.